Hey y'all, this is Jean Nathan, and this is Crosstown Conversations, and we're about to have a studio full of people, and they don't even know it, but we're on the air, y'all. Find a seat, find a seat, find a seat, and if we don't have enough, we'll get, I, I'm going to need another seat. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, yeah, we need one more seat. Okay, guys, we have... The group, Tank and the Bangas, in studio, in person, live. And I'm so thrilled and excited about this because I get really excited about new music. And this group is all about new music. Because they do a mixture of you put your headphones on, you put your headphones on. And um, we could use a couple extra sets of headphones, jazz, if you got any. And um, we are... um, you know, I'm just I, I'm just amazed at what I heard. I was telling people that I heard you guys literally just warming up at the New Orleans Entrepreneur Week event. I just heard, you know, getting your sound check. It was sound check. Yeah. And based on the sound check, I said, wow, okay, now I understand why I keep hearing your name. And um, I had to have you on. I was, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you all here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to introduce yourselves. So I can uh, I, I won't remember you right away because I have it takes me a while to get people down and um, you're gonna say what you play and then we're gonna then we're gonna chat about why you play what you do and speak into the mic and you know all about that. Nope, I um, I'm Norman. I play the bass in the band. Stay away from the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> However, I started as a keyboard player. My drummer friend, Arthur Coleman in Baltimore, was a, a drummer that bought a bass. I learned how to play bass on his bass, and it's been a journey. Here's Merrill. Hello there. I'm Merrill, and I'm the keyboard player. I started out playing trumpet first and decided to switch once I went to... Triangle. Noka. <laughs> I, I hear that so much, that a musician start with one yeah. instrument... And gravitate to another. I've heard it the other way around, piano to trumpet, yeah. right? And just um, you, you just you, you pick up that other instrument, and all of a sudden, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I you just know. felt like it was so much more I could do on piano than trumpet. It caught my interest more. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Can you still play the trumpet? Yeah. Um. Yeah, so very. Very little. You know, it's. it's, it's it's a muscle you develop, and yeah, if you don't use it, you lose it. Okay, okay. Kind of like something else. All right. Who else is All right. We caught that. <laughs> I'm, I'm we Tank. We that. I'm Tank of Tank and the Bangers, and um, my voice is my instrument, and I am working on the ukulele. Oh, right. Yeah. I practice the ukulele once a month. (laughs) (laughs) Probably too much. Yes, I I play the ukulele. I've never seen her play the ukulele. Soon. And the harmonica. I saw saw a picture one time. Norman gave me a harmonica. I'm working with that as well. Can I get that back? I I have a very special harmonica. 
that we'll we'll just have to talk about in the future. But I picked it up at a flea market, and you know what it says on it? It's first of all it's sterling silver, mm-hmm. and it says Tiffany. Wow, I need a my Lucy. Tiffany harmonica. What? I had to buy it. Yeah. I can barely play it. I go. You sound like Tank. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh, you haven't even heard me. No, I saw her. You might be a little bit better. I didn't hear her. <laughs> and, and this is my man because he's the reason y'all are here. Is I was listening to his drums, and I'm a drums girl. And, man, I just, oh, this was during sound check. <laughs> you must not have heard the song Drummers yet. Uh, <laughs> um, how y'all doing? My name is Joshua Johnson, and I'm the drummer. And uh, musical director of the band. It's true. It's a thing. Wow. That's all. Hey, right. All right, we got one more to go in What's the in, in studio. Hey, I'm Albert. <laughs> uh, I play saxophone and flute, and uh, dabble in other things. And what are we supposed? What's the? Is there a question we're answering? Just yeah, we're coming in to general the introduction. Why do you play flute and sax? That's oh. the question. You missed it when you. <clears throat> I think I play flute just for versatility and because it's beautiful. I play saxophone just because it's like, I don't know, it's just like what I picked up. They're like, you want to be in the band? Yeah. Picked up saxophone. That's pretty much it. Albert plays a little piano too. He's pretty smooth. A little bit. I've been practicing my scales. He plays it the way I play the harmonica. No, no, no. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. A lot better. No, no. <laughs> I've heard his tracks. No, no. I haven't heard any harmonica tracks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Let me, let, me, let me just put out, uh, this is going to be fun. So uh, let me just put out to the uh, audience, 2609265, if you want to talk in person with Tank and the Bangas. All right, this is what uh, I want. This is my, my core question is the mix that you all do and how that came to be. And um, how did you have the guts? I think it takes guts to to deal with that range and not back off from any of it and choose, oh, well, we got to do this. You know, in the art world, some artists feel like they have to do only one kind of thing and they do the same thing over and over again because it brings in the money. People want that, so they keep doing that, and they don't express their full range of talent. You guys went in the other direction, and you said, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do soul, I'm going to do R&B, I'm going to do... Some of those really gentle songs that you do almost sound like the intro to a kid's program. They're so (laughs) gentle that a child could feel comfortable with them. So I'm just, how did did it come to be that you have the nerve to continue to work in that broader range? I see. We just do what we like versus doing what's expected. You know, um, we like all kinds of music. So we have no problem doing what we uh, hear in our minds, is, which is what we like. Now, this is something also that's very characteristic of musicians in New Orleans, that they work in so many different genres because they may have to work... Uh, Kid Jordan told me this years and years ago because he's basically a totally out jazz player, right? But he can play in Broadway theater. He can play in a, in a marching band. My husband once booked him to do a marching band out, an out marching band. It was fabulous. <laughs> did that for the CAC. What? I said it was, sounds cool. Weird. It was cool. very, <laughs> it wasn't weird. It was just very, it was very cool. But again, it's, it, it takes um, that range. How come you have that range to begin with? Um, 
we always, first of all, we all didn't grow up in the same household. So that means that we all come from different backgrounds, you know, different inspirations of music. I grew up um, with a family full of pastors um, and also really loving spoken word and really injecting myself into the spoken word um, world very early, which allowed me to be very free because I came from a very loving, accepting world. You know, you get up on stage and you practically become completely naked and someone has to judge you on a scale of one to ten. So that pretty much got me ready for eyes that have never seen me before. And when it comes down to my boys, I mean, they love anime. They, I love Disney movies. You know, um, I don't know what Elbert likes. I, I don't know what you like at all. <laughs> I don't know. He's from um, Turkey. Well, so. He was born in Turkey. He was born in Turkey. He's practically Turkish. Turkish. Can you speak Turkish? Just a little. Did you go see the movie Mustangs? No. Mustang, I don't remember. The Mustangs or Mustang is playing at the Broad Theater, that new movie theater on Broad Street. It's about a family of Turkish girls and their resistance to the social patterns of getting them married off and... It's a heavy-duty and very beautiful movie. It's playing right now, The Broad. You know where The Broad is? It's that white mission. <laughs> okay, I, 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 I picked up the blank. Okay, it's 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 like Spanish mission-style building right across from where the youth, Ruth Chris Steakhouse used to be on Broad Street. You know By Orleans, is. just on Orleans. You know. Orleans. Where you know? <laughs> okay, so so what is? Give give that guy a mic. So so what is? What are, what are your influences? My influence, I, I listen to mostly like jazz and Steely Dan and <laughs> and like and like seventies, eighties stuff, the James Bond's names. My dad introduced me to and my mom put me on like so much music. My mom listened to Jethro Tull and she liked Smash Mouth, which was weird, but hey, it was cool. And she she was not she's not big into like I don't know, she's she's not big into analysis and stuff. She's just into how music makes you feel. So I picked that up from her because she would just be like Oh, I like the beat of that song, or like, you know, I like how this makes me feel. My dad was more analytical with it, you know, how did they do that? What are they doing? He's, he sings and he played a little drums, a little guitar, I believe, but what? not really, not really like, not as a career or anything. But he, he put me on a lot of stuff. And uh, back to the, the other question about like, about the nerve to do stuff differently, it's not really, we don't really think about it. Um, Honestly, but it's really it's really cool that other people do, and uh, I don't know. It's not really our place to think about it, because if we thought about it, it would kind of get in the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that kind. I mean, it's kind of like analyzing something you're doing in the moment, and it's kind of like it, it, it really it makes it corny, makes it takes away from it. Yeah. So yeah. I agree. What is your definition of the word corny? I, I've heard people use it <laughs> lately a couple times. For music, uh, disingenuous for show, maybe like. Like like corny. You take the flavor away from it. You take corny. The, the potency away from it. Like the the natural uh, potency of it. Like I mean, you know, I it could be cool. I think it's of this New Orleans traditional music when it's not really in, a part of my heart. Just if it's not part of you, yeah. That's not that's yeah. not what I want to do. <laughs> you know, that's not what you would think. I guess we just want to be free musically. We don't want to put ourselves in a box. Okay, now you. What are your influences? Speak up, my influences. Speak up to the mic. Yes. Well, my parents grew up in. Wait, now this is this is Merle. Uh, Merle. Yeah. Merle. Okay. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I don't know. 
I'm like half. I'm, I'm half sleep right now, so. Uh, you were up late last night. Go Bear ahead. Me. <laughs> but uh, my parents uh, had me listening to a lot of church music growing up. I'm hearing parents. Church was a huge influence. Church was a very huge influence. Like we couldn't even listen to secular music until I became about, I want to say nine or ten, wow. and we used to sneak. And record stuff from Q93 <laughs> oh, yeah. on a cassette tape. <laughs> we used to sneak and record like to a cassette tape and sneak and listen to it at night. And then my sister be like, "Oh, my mama come, mama come, you better stop it, you better stop it." <laughs> we have to stop or pause or whatever. Wow. So she called us, we'll be punished and stuff like that. And like my grandparents do it the same way. We couldn't watch BET. We used to sneak and watch BET, MTV. He, they felt like all oh, that was the devil. My parents was real strict. Like, growing up, we couldn't even play bingo because oh my, my grandparents God. was like, oh, it's gambling. We couldn't say oh, uh, shut man. up. <laughs> we couldn't say stupid. Gee, we couldn't say funky. Yeah, gospel influence. And uh, once I got into high school, I uh, tapped into a lot of uh, jazz music once I went to NOCA and stuff. They introduced me to several different jazz artists like that there was a library there, and we had to just go there weekly and check out different albums just to broaden our musical uh, vocabulary and stuff like and, that. And I heard, uh, when I heard that sound check again, I heard the jazz in your playing, mm-hmm. and, and that was what fascinated me because I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm everything. I love everything, too. Like mm-hmm. The only thing I don't like, I have to admit, is kind of... Heavy metal, that's just not my thing. Sorry. <laughs> Were we talking about heavy metal uh, yesterday? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Heavy metal concert is kind of <laughs> like technical it is, but then also how like frightening it is. Yeah. Like, it just makes me feel terrible. It makes me feel <laughs> afraid. Have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heavy Otherwise. metal makes me feel like Satan, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> he has now to live you, in you for you I to feel also heard you say oh the church also. Oh, yeah, my dad's a, a pastor now, but he was also a musician, so um, I used to listen to whatever he... All the groups he played for back in Baltimore, where I'm from, <laughs> rep your city. <laughs> uh, he, he played for different groups, and he'd have to listen to all kinds of stuff, so I would. Um, he had records. Uh, a lot of Howard Hewitt was one of them that I remember. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank you, God, for giving me. Y'all remember that song? That was hilarious. And he's playing, he don't use the mic. No, but... Um, it was a joke. Like it was a joke. Like Y'all remember that song? Y'all might be too young, man. That was an 80s joint. Anyway, um, a lot of Vanessa Bell Armstrong, BBCC Winans, the Clarks, all them church people. Um, but, you know, as I became a teenager, I wanted to be able to sing songs with the kids in school, you know. So I would get my little tape uh, tape recorder or whatever. At night, while they, their room was all the way down the hall, I could turn it up and get the right volume on my cassette. Once, you know, recorded, put the tape in, and on a bus to school or whatever, I'd be listening, trying to get the words. Your mom and then, didn't let you listen? No. My, my mother, you know, um, she kind of did, you know, listen to her own thing, you know, whatever. She'd be back and forth between BB and CC and the oldie station. <laughs> so I would, I would get a little bit there, but um, my dad, and it was all church or 92Q. But I got a little into the soul, neo-soul scene um, as a teenager working at a pizza place. A DJ just introduced me to Dilla, J. Dilla, and Slum Village and all that, and that kind of opened me up to Erica Badu. And that's where a lot of my keyboard playing styles mm-hmm, comes mm-hmm, from, mm-hmm. the roots and all that. Sure, yeah. I've heard that also. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in New York, and we had um, incredible radio. 
So we had Symphony Sid, who played jazz all night, and I would just be up until 5 in the morning listening to jazz, because I also could never sleep well. And we had Freed, Alan Freed, and um, we had two black stations in the city, and one was more sort of gospel, real southern roots, and the other was more contemporary stuff. On the AM side or FM? Uh, FM. Okay. Mainly FM. And um, so I had incredible influences that, that broadened my um, vocabulary, cool. so to speak, to or my tastes. Um, I want to play um, a little bit of your music for those folks who aren't aware of what you do. Because, of course, again, we hear your name a lot, but just like me, I'm not a nightlifer at the moment. <laughs> and so I wasn't out hearing you. Um, and it was that sound check that did it. So here's a little taste of what they do. Is this um, Think Tank? Yes. What have been meat? What have been eggs? What have been greens? What have been milk? What have been fruit? What have been vegetables? What have been soup? I would have been good for you. Crazy question. This is just out of left field. Mm. What's the name of that singer from Sweden? Born? Born? What's her name? Bjorn? Bjork? Bjork. Thank you. You reminded me a little bit of her. Whoa. I've heard, but I haven't really heard her. Have anybody said that to you? Mm-mm. No? That's they crazy. say um, yeah. Jill Not Scott, Erica Badu. 
It's not so much the heart of your music. It's it's again your sort of um, idiosyncratic presence. You're wow. willing to pull out, you know, and be more than one thing, more than one personality. And I don't know that much about her. I've read about her in history. I haven't, you know, really tracked her that much. But anyway, I just was wondering if that was anything that you related to. No, that sounds Check her really out. cool. Check her that, out. that makes right. me want to because that that's how it feels. More than one person. Where where do we go from here? What what's um what's up for you guys both in terms of um your um touring, your shows, but also musically. Um where does this evolve? What's 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 in your minds? What are you rehearsing now and thinking about? Musical director. Hi. <laughs> oh man. Um I'm always thinking about different new things. I'm always pulling ideas from uh, my bandmates, from Tank. Tank always has ideas brewing, and it's um, it's always 24-7. I've been quiet this whole time, and I've been in my head, like, half the time. I'm really sorry, but I've been having, like, ideas even just sitting here, just, like, thoughts. And so it's like yeah, my just one. Oh man. It's just, it's like and it's 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 evolving always in my head until I'm finished with it and I'm like, hey, I have something for you. When it feels good. You know. When when it's that moment <laughs> when everything truly comes together right in the creation process, I just want to slap somebody in the face, mainly one of these guys, because it's like, yeah, that's why we're doing this. This is what it's for. And it's personal fulfillment and even more exciting that we work and we have people that's excited to hear what we've done. That's the most exciting part about the work. Like, we have someone to present it to. That's exciting, and uh, when it feels right, like when these heads come together, it's like, yeah, this is this is the purpose. Do you guys know how lucky you are to have come together? Blessed. Blessed. How many people get the chance to work with? Obviously, people who you have some really profound synchronicity with. It was divine. How how did how did you come together? Well. Tank, you know, was already with Team Snow doing her thing. Team Snow? Team Snow. All right. So um, she was at an open mic on the West Bank called Liberation Lounge uh, at a place called Black Star Cafe. Books and Cafe, I should say. Um, I was playing for Tanya Boy Cannon. I was her keyboard player at the time, and she featured at that open mic. And I went and I sat in for the whole thing. I liked the vibe, you know. I met Amari Johnson and Jared Savoy. They had a bass player and guitar player. They used to be in Tank and the Bangers. They were the Black Star Bangers at the time. Um, Josh eventually came to that open mic, um, and we started 
Liberated Soul Collective. Can somebody else take over from me? I'm not a great storyteller. <laughs> you were doing just fine. No, I think, think you fine, were doing just bro. fine because it's such a long story. I know. So Someone passed the baton. Take. Before it was <laughs> taking the bangers, it was, you know, the Black Star bangers. That's right. And before it was the, and after it was the Black Star bangers, it was Liberation Lounge. And, that and the Liberated Liberate, Soul Liberate Collective. Liberated Soul Collective. That's right. And that was myself and Nate Suave and, you know, Nation Savoir and, and Amari on the guitar and, and Josh. And we would all... Uh, we put all our money in together Norman. Bef- yeah. in Norman, yeah, and before yeah, we know it, too. in Elliot Love, in Elliot Love, so many with Chanel. We 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 were very inspired yeah. by um by what the Roots did in Philly and stuff. Just seeing um a bunch of people come together and try to go somewhere with their dream, and we just wanted to do that in New Orleans as well. So every week at Liberation Lounge at that open mic, people put two dollars in the bucket, three dollars, anything, because it all really was free admission. But before you know it, we had raised enough money to get a huge tour bus and travel all over for a while, funded by ourselves. And we took that same mentality and just um and went to London for three months, all of us together. Wow. You know, so right. when we want something, we definitely believe, especially. Our our manager, Tavi, which is one of our best friends, that mm-hmm. you got to do it together. We're stronger as a force. And we really uh, take that in mind when we host our big backyard hangout parties where everybody comes um, across the canal and party with us. Like, we just have that mindset. Speaking of a, um, a, a night, um, June uh, 5th, I think it is, a Saturday. June 5th, a Saturday. Put that in the book, and we'll talk about it. Okay, because we got something coming up on that date, and I I, I gotta have you. <laughs> we just I gotta have you. Sunday. You gotta come in, um, guys. We could go two more hours with you and not have enough time, but I've got buddies out there waiting for me, so we'll go out with a little bit of a, your sound, and I will have you back. Any last words? Any last words? Y'all come out to French Quarter Fest, April 9th. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that. And come see us, Esplanade Shade Stage. What time do we play, Todd? Five? Say that a second time. 5.30. What else, Say it one more time. Say it one more time. French Quarter Fest, this Saturday. Come out, 5 o'clock. Or thereabouts. See Tank the Bangers. French Quarter Fest is April 9th, right? And April 15th will be, next Friday, we'll be at Chicky Wawa. So be there. Jazz Fest? Okay. You are the best. I'm crazy about you. You're the newest thing for me. You're the newest thing in New Orleans. All the success in the world. Don't change your name again. Just stay with it. What does Tank mean? <laughs> tank is a nickname that my dad gave me. I mean, in high school, it's funny. My dad was the cannonball. And, you know, he just called me Tank. I don't know. I love Six. it. Thank you so much, guys, for coming by. It was a blast. I wish we could go on forever. We'll do more. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. All right. And you know what? Bruce Dapper. Come on in. This is a fabulous artist that you guys should know about. And you should do something with him. And he's the next guest. And he'll say hello to you as you're leaving. And he is part of something coming up. Oh, it's artwork. He always has the artwork. And he does work about marching bands and the football teams and the schools and the neighborhoods of the city. So, um, yeah, you all, you all will hook up. And another time. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Get ready for the 33rd annual French Quarter Festival presented by Chevron, April 7th through 10th. Featuring over 1,700 musicians and 60 of your favorite New Orleans food vendors. Come out for an authentic New Orleans experience, a broad range of Louisiana artists, and a diverse variety of musical styles and genres. It's the 33rd annual French Quarter Festival presented by Chevron, happening April 7th through 10th. Visit www.fqfi.org for a full schedule and lineup. Thousands of people will take over the View Parade to enjoy the very best live local music across 23 stages. With over two dozen new artists making their festival debut, don't miss one of the biggest entertainment festivals anywhere, and it's absolutely free. It's the 33rd Annual French Quarter Festival presented by Chevron, April 7th through 10th. Let the good times roll. WBOK, 1230 AM, The People's Station. All right, so that was that was that was more fun than 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 anybody deserves. That was a blast. But you know what? We follow up with just as much fun with Dapper Bruce Lafitte, who's doing a new exhibition called Duck Sauce. I can't wait to hear about Duck Sauce <laughs> at the New Orleans Art Center on St. Claude Avenue, thirty three thirty. One of the newest arts venues in town, and very very ambitious. Always with an incredible um, uh, roster of artists and no different this time, Bruce has curated with 25 local and nationally based artists. But let's just start with Bruce for a minute. Bruce, what you been up to? I've been busy. I have a newborn and that's been, you know, yeah, she's seven months. You got to meet your god goddaughter. <laughs> yeah. I do want to. Mm-hmm. I've been um, dealing with my, my gallery in New York. I have a show coming up in June. We just did the Outside of All Fair in New York. Um, I got another show coming up in Atlanta, the Contemporary Arts Center in Atlanta. And then um, working with Jacksonville for the summer. And also do Japan towards like September, October. And then wow. I've been, 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 uh, been, been dealing with the New Orleans Arts Center. This is like my, my third time showing with them. And so um, I begged him and pleaded with him to give me <laughs> to, 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 to build him. No, he didn't yeah. have to beg and plead, I know. And, and uh, they gave me the spot, and I went out to um, handpick some artists I like, my favorite artists, and uh, put a show together, you know. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's a curious. Your work is so special and different from anybody else's work. Yeah. You really um, tell the story of the city from its neighborhoods, from its schoolyards, from the streets where our bands march. This is your genre, but obviously you care about and appreciate so many other people's work. Yeah. You've introduced yeah. me to quite a few artists yes, that ma'am. we included yes, in our first show, show up at uh, Myrtle Bank. So tell me <laughs> yeah. about who you picked for this uh, show and why. I have um, Nat Williams, the plug. I have him because he's a role model to me. Um, if I need help, I call Nat and he helps me out. And so um, every time I have an event, I always like to add the plug in there. Because if I don't have the plug in there, his, I think his, my grandmother ghost would haunt me. He said, Take, get, get the plug in there, get the plug. I have the plug. Um, a new artist I met named Ruben Chapman. Um, he's a real talent. Um, 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 a young lady named Jamara Johnson B. I call Jamara JB. Um, I've shown her a few times. She, you know, she's, she's real good. Nicole Fernandez, she's from New York. I've been knowing Nicole for the last maybe five or six years since I've been in the art business. Um, 
couple other people I f- forget their name, and also I have the, um, the the gallery owner. She's also in in the show. Mm-hmm. I seen her work, and I you know like I got to meet this lady you know into the show because she's mm-hmm. real good talent. Duck Sauce, mm-hmm. where'd that name come from? Well, I have a homeboy named Duck. Um, after Katrina, we met each other through his cousin JD, and um, to meet Duck. Uh, it was like uh, real special because Duck was inspired me to become an artist. Without Duck, it wouldn't be no dapper Bruce Lafitte. Duck will always inspire me to to do art when I've been disappointed, um, to do art when when people say I couldn't do it. Duck was that person with like a, a brother, a real close brother to you. And so I told Duck, Duck, one day when I become famous, I'm gonna name a show after you. Duck said, Man, get out of here, man. You you just do it, what you gotta do, but you know, take care of yourself. And so I said, when I got this this um, show, I said, I'm going to call it Duck Sauce. And then I got the artist that I really like and put him in the show. So when Duck come to the show, I want him to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I want him to cry. Uh-huh. Uh, he's been a friend of mine for the last 10 years. His- you really you really care about people, don't you? I, I, I've noticed that about you. You connect. Mm-hmm. You recognize. You um, embrace. Uh, I would say a, a part of your life, a big part of your mm-hmm. life is your friends and the people yeah. that you that you work with and, right. and 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 get to know and yeah. and bring into your life. Yeah, my grandmother and grandfather taught me that. She said, my grandmother said, "Bring me your friends, and I'm gonna show you who you are." So I kept all my friends away from her. And my granddad said, "Don't be hanging around no crazy people." So I made sure I stay away from I stay with sane people. You know, people that you can talk to. And then you can relate to one another. That's what you deal with. You know? Oh yeah, you think me mm-hmm. and my husband are are, are sane, huh? You my people, you my godmother you, you might and godfather. You're the only ones in town. You my godmother <laughs> and godfather. The last what ten years I've been in this business. The last seven years I've been knowing y'all. I'm telling you, I, if I get into with somebody, I miss y'all name. They back down off me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you get my grandmother, and gra- my, my godparents on you, and they back down off me. <laughs> so, you know, but my thing was, I, I knew I had to have people around me, a circle, to always protect me from from. Uh, evil wishes, you know, evil doers, and my grandparents was that. And so when they passed, I had to go get another village, which was my godparents, uh, my god uh, um, um, Diego, Don Dudo, Dan Cameron, um, the C24 Gallery, Arthur Rogers, Jeffrey Cook, Barristers Gallery. Those people, those individuals became my, my protectors, you know, and so always have loyalty to that. Wish I could have protected, wish we could have protected um, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Jeff yeah. was my uh, boy. That was yeah. a sad loss. I remember I first yeah. met Jeff Cook. I mean, I thought he was be a giant, maybe six-something, man. He come in like a full-footer, man. <laughs> but a giant. But a giant. A he's giant a giant in his art. His, oh, his, man. His work was amazing. He's and, the, he's uh, the, he used to tell me, Bruce, man, one day you could be something, but right now you got to focus, you got to concentrate, you got to get with people that are going to help you. So I follow those instructions. Anything would happen, I would call him, and he would either calm me down or we would talk about it. So a lot of things I have going on now is because of Jeffrey Cook, you know. Um, Bruce, what's your uh, take on the art scene in New Orleans right now? What What's your feeling about um, overall how it's doing, where it's going, what folks are getting done, what do they need? What, what's your feeling about it? Well, to be honest with you, it's, it's bad. I'm going to tell you it's bad because some of them don't go back to help one another. It's like crabs in a crab barrel in an art game. If you're not uh, on top and you're not helping nobody, you're no good to the art scene. But if you're on top and you're helping somebody, you can help the next generation to move on. Sometimes you find artists, if you go to them and say, hey, man, be in my show, you got to, like, it's like pulling teeth with them. Instead of them giving you yes or no, they prolong the agony. And then when you do, you know, have the show set for something, then they come back and, and don't say nothing to you. You know, you have a lot of people in this art game that's uh, making the art business bad. So the younger artists see that, how they act, and they're going to act like that. 
And so that prolonged the agony. So when artists like myself and Willie Birch and the Godfather come through trying to tell people the, the art game, they think of us as crazy. They say, well, you're a genius. You're crazy anyway because you're a genius. No, you just like loyalty. you like dignified in this art game. Mm-hmm. Right now it's a bunch of it's swamp. You know, it's real muddy. It's like the Mississippi River, this art game. So I'm here to I'm here to turn into the Atlantic Ocean on them. That's what I'm gonna do. I, I think that um, <laughs> really uh, art has the art scene and the art world has mm. always been like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but New Orleans, it's changing right now. Oh, yeah, so it is, it is. you know you have this influx of of newer people from mm-hmm. elsewhere, yeah. and at the same time we're all trying to hang on to our older um, cultural legacy, yeah. and so that's something that. Do you, you want to talk about your role in this? Sure, uh, if you would rapidly. talk into the mic oh, and introduce sorry. yourself. <laughs> I'm Christina Duran. I'm director of the New Orleans Arts Center, and thank you for having us. Um, very excited to have Dapper's work in the show and that he is curating the event. Um, we are fairly new to the area on St. Claude as a new art center and very excited about it to show different exhibitions every month, rotating exhibitions and bringing things to the community that we hope they'll really enjoy. Um, it's a it's a changing art world in New Orleans. There's a lot of almost grassroots areas just coming up like crazy all around. Amazing. I think artwork. that's the that's mm-hmm. the really positive thing about the mm-hmm. art scene yeah. uh, in New Orleans right now. Um, partially because we don't have a lot of help from the top. Mm-mm. People are having to bootstrap Mm -hmm. and do whatever they can to bring themselves up. I Mm -hmm. mean, when you first started, although you talk about the people who've helped you, Mm -hmm. you you really had to, you had to, like I was saying with the the group that was Mm -hmm. here just before with Tank and, and the Bangas, they had a lot of courage to mm. mix all those genres, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. and you've had a lot of courage to yeah. be an artist. You have enormous yeah. courage. When you, do, <laughs> when you do an art center, I know how much courage that Ooh. takes. Yeah. I'm with courage, and, 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 and they humble. Uh, she's real humble lady. I mean, she dealt with some artists that would make me want to jump on them, but she's humble. Oh, I, 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 I get that to her. Oh, <laughs> I, I get that to her. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, you, and I love working with people like that yeah. because sometimes I could be unbearing, you know, um, dealing with this this young lady, I mean, it's beautiful. It's all the, I'm telling you, she's she's a boss lady. I call certain people boss ladies. You know, she's a boss lady to me. She's Thank all right. you. I'm honored by that. No, oh. really nice. <laughs> Let me before we get much further along, and I'm going to bring somebody else into the conversation. I want you guys to stay here because mm-hmm. when you hear what she's talking about, you're going to appreciate um, why I wanted you to stay in the room. Um, so um, this show, Dapper Bruce Lafitte presents a new exhibition, Duck Sauce, at the New Orleans Arts Center, 3330 St. Claude Avenue. What's the cross streets? It's between Piety and Desire. Between Piety and Desire, and the opening reception is April 9th, 6 to 9 p.m., and that is this Saturday, so you all get there, be square. It is a terrific venue, and um, Bruce's work is amazing, and um, I would absolutely respect and be excited to see the people that you chose to be in there. I'm going to be there. i gotta, I got to see what's going on. Oh, you got to come, Godmother. I have to know who, who's out there. Yeah, and, Godmother. And you're my man to tell me how, no. who's out there. <laughs> now, we're going to get a little serious here, but you're going to be interested to hear about this. So, Erin um, Greenwald has joined us, and she is a curator and an historian with the Historic New Orleans Collection. And she put together a show that is about to travel all over the place that is about the slave trade mm-hmm. in the South, mm-hmm. and in particular, 
how New Orleans was really the um, it was it was the marketplace. So um, I, I, I want Erin uh, to talk about this show, and, and it's been on display in New Orleans. And, and when when it's finished with the tour, will it be on display again? There are currently no plans to have it as a permanent exhibition in New Orleans, but the show is called Purchased Lives, New Orleans and the Domestic Slave Trade when it was here last summer at the Historic New Orleans Collection, and we broke all sorts of attendance records. We had people coming back two, three, four times, bringing with them relatives and friends, and we've been really fortunate to have recently received a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities to allow this exhibition to travel and reach new audiences. Uh, Tell me where it's going. So Purchased Lives, it will travel under a slightly altered title. It will be Purchased Lives, the American Slave Trade from 1808 to 1865. We'll travel this summer to the Alexandria Museum of Art in Alexandria, Louisiana, which is the area where Solomon Northup lived and labored during his 12 years of enslavement here in Louisiana. We'll travel there from June 3rd through August 20th. And it will immediately thereafter go to the National Civil Rights Museum in um, Memphis, Tennessee, which, if you're familiar with that facility, is housed actually in the Lorraine Motel where Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, It will open there on September 12th and stay on view through the end of November. It will come back home briefly to take a little break. And then it will go to the uh, Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin, Texas, from early February next year through July of next year. And, you know, um, I'm always, well, um, tell me what has been the takeaway for people who have seen the show? Well, I think New Orleanians, and it's not just New Orleanians, many people want to celebrate history, and they want to talk about the positive aspects of American history. And I think the takeaway here is that you need, we all need to be paying more attention to the more complicated, controversial, uh, painful aspects of our history that have contributed to who we are, not only as New Orleanians, but as Americans, and I think that Purchased Lives communicated that history, the pain and suffering of the more than one million people who were forcibly moved within the boundaries of the United States between 1808 and the end of the Civil War as chattel, um, understanding what that experience was like and how the American economy um, supported that industry. I think we we have a tendency to want to pretend that we're in some kind of, what do they call it, post-racial period Mm -hmm. uh, in our history. They call it the forget-about-it move. I don't think that works. Yeah, don't work it, don't work it. No, and and, um, uh, I don't want to get into the whole monuments uh, thing. We'll we'll get endless phone calls and I won't be able to talk Mm -hmm. about anything for the rest of the show, but um, there's, there's very... Um, poignant history behind how that all happened, and um, it that plus some of the shootings that have gone down mm-hmm. around the country and the Black Lives Matter movement have brought this issue back up, mm-hmm. you know, or let's say out of the closet, out of the corners, and we've had to like face it again and to to truly as you said understand the, the the actual pain and suffering to go back and really think about that 12 years a slave was probably one of the most important breakthroughs in bringing out to a broader public uh the story of what was going on and um 
I, I just think it was so important. How did you get to, I, I'm always interested in beginnings. How did you get to focus on this as, a, as an historian? Well, we started with actually a phone call from the Library of Virginia uh, probably three years ago at this point asking if we would participate in a day-long symposium with half of the program in Richmond, Virginia, and half of the program in New Orleans examining the two major depots, the Northern Depot and the Southern Depot in the domestic slave trade. Um, We did this program with each site being telecast, their programming to the other site. And as we were preparing to host that symposium, which took place last year, we said, look, you know, we're the Historic New Orleans Collection. We've now been around for 50 years. We have never done an exhibition dedicated to the history of slavery, and it is long, long overdue for us to take that on in a responsible way, in a way that will allow us to reach the full array of New Orleans's population. I, I couldn't agree more, and um, I don't think we've done enough of it um, throughout the city and, and many, not, not just Historic New Orleans Collection, but our other museums. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was very impressed with it when I first heard about it and um, just love that you were recognized by the National Endowment for the Humanities, which is a rigorous institution. This is not just to, oh, call your buddy and say, hey, can I have a grant? This is This is, a, yeah, it, it, it's a, a big, uh, demanding process that gets you one of those grants. So that tells you how important this show is. And um, if, if you missed it in New Orleans and you're not going to be on the tour and see it, um, books, catalogs, uh, video, anything? How how can people catch back up with it? Well, we've been really fortunate in that the National Endowment for the Humanities has funded not only the exhibition to travel in full, but it has funded the creation of a large format panel exhibition that's based on the original, and that panel exhibition will travel to 10 libraries and cultural sites across the state beginning this fall. Um, For anyone who's interested in the history of the domestic slave trade, and particularly New Orleans' role in that history, you know, more men, women, and children were bought and sold in this city in the antebellum period than anywhere else in the United States. I would Mm. recommend um, Walter Johnson's Soul by Soul, Life Inside the Antebellum Slave Market. Soul Um, by Soul, that's mm. easy to remember. Yeah, Yeah. Soul by Soul, you know, 12 Years a Slave, some of the um, slave narratives that were published prior to the Civil War. The Works Progress Administration slave narratives that are housed at the Library of Congress have all been digitized. There were more than 2,300 interviews conducted in the 1930s with former slaves. Is any of that online? Yes, they're all online. They're fully searchable. Um, Unfortunately, Louisiana was the only one of the 18 states who never submitted their their slave narratives. (laughs) But because the slave trade was so outsized, played such an outsized role here in New Orleans, many, many people who were bought and sold or lived here moved to other states following the war and their experiences are included and are represented in other states. Where they, where they actually got to. I, I was um, just a momentary thing. You know, I, I worked at WDSU for many years right next door to um, the uh, Royal Orleans Hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was shocked because I just, I think I vaguely had heard it before but forgot about it, that in that hotel um, there there were not not the hotels we know it today, but at that location, there was 
an incredible amount of slave trading done. That's right. Yeah, the the St. Louis Hotel, which existed from the 1830s to the early, the first decade of the 20th century, was a really strange juxtaposition of being a luxury hotel with an opulent rotunda and lobby under which people were bought and sold. Mm -hmm. It was a spectacle. It was a site for people to visit and watch Mm. the human pain and suffering. Mm. How could people who dealt with that not have been... No conscious. Right? How could they not have... No love. ...had to face Mm. it and deal with it and and protest it Mm. and oppose it? Some did. Mm -hmm. Not enough. But not... Well, whoever did got hung. Well, that's... <laughs> but I I remember growing up in school, we had Black History Month, and so even the white teacher would say, look, that's not enough. She she would come and say, look, you need to read your books and get a better understanding. She said, don't let nobody te- tell you you yeah, learn yourself. Right. I and think... so, yeah, that's what's happening. And so nowadays, these kids, you know, growing up, they they um they roll with the devil nowadays. They don't go towards education or learning nothing. I asked the kid, who's Malcolm X? He looked at me like I was, you know, talking about Riz Khalifa somebody, you know? And so that's what happened. I said, and so when I come in, I try to bridge that gap with generation. I show them the old work of the slavery, the penitentiary and stuff. And them kids will say, well, look, my uncle's got life in the penitentiary. I said, well, look here, this is how you not to go to the penitentiary. Read a book. Read a book? Yeah, man, go get the dictionary. Go from A to Z. Learn different words. And so when I got out of New Orleans, I saw Oklahoma, Japan, France, and Italy. I was like, man, I think New Orleans needs to be refreshed. You know, and so that's what I do with this artwork, refresh New Orleans so people don't come to New Orleans grabbing their purses and grabbing their wallets and, and being afraid, you know. You want something different. So when they pass by those places who were selling slaves and stuff, they don't print it and say that's the place we sell slaves. They'll say that's the place that Dapper Bruce Lafitte likes. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a, I'm going to take uh, Valerie just a minute. Um, mm-hmm. So um, there's a woman whose name, unfortunately, I'm not going to remember, but I'm going to have her on the show soon, who is developing tours based on the different sites throughout the city mm-hmm. of slave trade. Is it Laura Tennyson? Is it Laura Tennyson? I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's good. Yeah. She's real good. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about what she's trying mm-hmm. to do. Uh, again, I'm going to ha- ask you to hold on because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now going to uh, join in. Um, Valerie, are you there? Valerie, did we lose you? I think she gave up on us, but oh, we're no. going to capture her back. She say hello. Hello? All right, we'll we'll get her back in just a second. Valerie Francis is who I'm going to join into the conversation. Valerie is a sensational both opera singer, uh, but also a producer. And um, I saw an opera that she pulled together recently that uh, just blew me away. So when I got a, a little email from her saying that she's producing Porky and Bess, wow. another slice wow. of history. Mm that is embodied in the story of just two people, mm. but it tells you so much about the life of um, the African-American community I like that uh, in the 20th century. My grandparents made me watch that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful story mm. and um, sad, and mm. uh, but also heartfelt. And um, they are doing a performance of this at the... Uh, uh, Nichols State University Thibodeau. and um, uh-huh, in, in the Peltier Auditorium this April 11th and 12th mm-hmm. at 7.30 p.m. And anything that uh, Miss Francis does is, is worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Now do I have you? 
Mm, hi. How you oh, doing? Oh, there you are. Okay. I'm so sorry. I lost you somehow. So, um, Valerie, we've, we've had, I don't know if you've been listening to the show, but we've had some powerhouse folks on here from uh, uh, Tank and the Bangas, a new music group in town that works with so many different genres, Dapper Bruce, who's just one of the most exciting and interesting and different artists in the city, and, um, and, and Aaron Greenwald, who put together this incredible um, exhibition about the slave trade history in Louisiana, and uh, well, throughout the South and in New Orleans. And, and so I said it, it fits to come to you uh, producing Porgy and Bess, which is another slice of the history of the African-American experience in America uh, from the perspective of, of, of two people, an, an intimate um, framing of it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So why why did you decide to do this? And, and tell us a little bit about Porky and Bess. A lot of people have heard about it, but may not have actually seen it and know what it's all about. Hi, Valerie. Yeah, can you hear me? I, I didn't hear you just then. Um, can you so, hear me now? Yeah. So okay. I'm asking you about the story of Porky and Bess and why it's important and why you decided to produce it. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's a story that was uh, written by... You know, George Gershwin, who was Jewish, and uh, he saw that there was a need for African Americans to have a place on stage other than um, because, you know, they weren't able to break into the other uh, the other operas by, by the Italian composers and things of that sort And at that time. So he decided to write an opera based on um, people who lived in... Um, in uh what was it in uh in Charleston, South Carolina, and these were the Gullah people there, and by him being a Jew, he was all also dealing with some um issues of uh, racism and things of that sort discrimination uh uh-huh. mm-hmm. and, and and slavery so he decided by the way. to you know to go and live in that locale and it's called cabbage Row in um Charleston, South Carolina. And he lived with those people, the Gullah people there, and he just created this masterpiece of um, all of the idioms, the dialects, the behaviors of the people of that community. And it's in this one, it ended up being this um, spectacular piece that we're doing. And uh, it's just amazing. It's such a moving opera. Oh yeah, the music it, is unbelievable. It, when I say opera, it's really uh it, it's it's not opera in in what people think of as a formal sense. It's more accessible. It, it's a, I, I call it vernacular. It's more kind of a let's call it a people's opera. Oh, well, kind of, but it but it is an opera. It is definitely an opera and it, you have to have proper voices to sing it. You know, they um you can't just uh say okay, I'm going to you know, pull it out and say, I'm just going to sing on Poor Game Best today. No, you really need to um, train voices to sing the, to sing the, the piece. The and, and who are, and I know you have some of your alumni that are involved in singing it. And um, I have just a little piece of it from um, Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong version that I'm going to mm. sing just a little, just to give people a quick flavor. We don't have a lot of time, but I just want to get a, a little sense of it. But here it comes. I get chills when I hear this. <laughs> Actually, what we got is summertime. Yeah. 
comes from this album. gonna we're gonna um, move back to our our guests that was summertime so that that's one of the most you know haunting and beautiful songs that evoke the south and that came out of this opera just to give you a flavor of it and and um, you can hear more of it online and more importantly you can hear it this weekend at Nickel State in this beautiful production that Valerie has put together and do you have your your um, assistant producer there with you Yes, I do. Yes. So, so uh, let me hear from him on uh, what were the the challenges and, and the beauty of, of putting this together. Hello. He's gone. Oh. Hello. I think my my engineer is is telling me you're out of time, Gene Nathan. Move on. So I apologize, Valerie. We didn't. Um, uh, hi. Uh, we didn't have enough time. Uh, I'm afraid to to uh, do much more. But I've told everybody before you got back on about it. It is um, performing this weekend, 11th and 12th, 7:30 p.m. at the Peltier Auditorium in Nickel State University. George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, produced by the very beautiful and creative Valerie. I am an admirer of yours, and um, we'll have you back in here. And uh